Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. How's everybody doing? Good. It's good to see you here today. Uh, We aren't going to spare any time. We're going to jump right in. And so if you're a guest with us, welcome. Man, it's good to see so many new faces, so many of you out of town guests coming in to hang out with family. Welcome. It's nice to have you with us today. Uh, We are here to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. How many of you guys are amped about the fact that today is the day we remember? And you know, there's this little thing, like we, we celebrate Resurrection Sunday every Sunday. Uh, It's not like a once a year kind of thing. This is something that we live in constantly, day in and day out. Um, It's a really beautiful gift to us. Uh, We're here to remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus. For 2,000 years, the world has been shaking under the weight of all that Jesus has done. And so today, we want to talk about the implications, what it means for those of us who believe. And for many of you, I really believe that today... God is going to be speaking a word to your heart. He's going to wake something up in you that's been asleep. Amen. Um, Every single one of us, you know, we we can hold differences of opinions. We can argue over our personal preferences or our convictions. We might even disagree on our politics. Uh, That's never been an issue here, right? But one thing we all have to wrestle with is what we do with this guy who was dead but is now alive forever. Amen. Amen. Frederick Buechner has this incredible quote. He says, resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. Um, And so this morning, we are reflecting on this reality that we live in resurrection life. Um, If you're a guest with us, before we jump in, I just do want to greet you. Um, If you're in this area, man, we really believe in multiplying families of missional disciples. Um, As a church, we believe that so much of who we are and what we do goes way past Sunday mornings. Uh, And unfortunately, um, to be in the Bible Belt means that often we have a culture or a cultural Christianity that goes to church but doesn't live in the resurrection power of Jesus. And so can I just encourage you that like what we feel like God has called us to do is to equip people to go out and to be faithful with everything God's called them to do. Um, and so this is just a taste. It's not, it's not the whole thing. Our goal is not to get you going to church a lot. Our goal is for you to understand and to be filled by the empowering work of the Spirit and to live your life saying yes to Jesus, right? And we really believe that happens best in families. That's why you hear um, announcements about communities and so many other things. Um, So I do have two quick things I want to say before we dive in this morning, and then we're going to sing a quick song. Um, That's right. That's right. Um, How many singles do I have in the room? Very, very active singles over here. <clears throat> Let me do it one more time. How many singles? It's okay. Yes. All right. How many of you know that being single in the kingdom is not less than? Yes. That the, it really is a brand new thing. We're in a new creation. And so the way that we view and perceive and understand how we relate to one another is completely different than the world around us. Um, and so over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about what it means to be to do relationships in the kingdom. Um, and I'm not talking about marriage relationships. I'm talking about relationships. 
Being single and relating to the body, being married and relating to the body, being a widower and relating to the body, being a parent and relating to the body. And one of the things that we want to do is we want to amplify what we believe the scriptures have to say about relationships in general. Because in our context, often uh, people feel like they don't have merit or value until they're married or until they have kids or until. And that's just not what this thing says. Right? That's not what the king says about us. Um, and so we're going to talk about that over the next several months. Um, but I want to put it on your radar. If you're a single in the room, we're doing a singles getaway on May the 12th through the 14th. That's a Friday night, a Saturday night, and Sunday morning. Um, and so there's 18 spots. It's $100. If you're interested, go ahead and start collecting your money. We'll talk later. All right? Last but not least, we got a birthday in the house. On Easter Sunday. Can you guys believe that? Isn't that unbelievable? Bethany Lape. I believe today is your birthday. Am I, am I mistaken? All right. So it's Friday. Okay. So if you're new, if this is not your church home, we're, we're foolish. We act crazy. Um, so we're going to sing to Bethany. Um, I think we need a little rendition. Can you guys help me out? We're going to sing super loud. It's going to be obnoxious. Um, 45, Bethany. You made it. Congratulations. So we're going to sing to Bethany. Y'all ready? All right. Help me. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Hey, last but not least, Cammie uh, Griffith released a book on Amazon. She wrote a book. Okay. Those are all my announcements today. All right. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. We're going to be in two places this morning. I want to look at the three statements that emerge from the resurrection story. One that I believe all of humanity is asking. The other is an invitation to see the answer to that question. And the last is a command to respond. Who will roll away the stone, come and see, go and tell? Mark chapter 16, verse 1. And then we'll turn over to Matthew 28 if you want to push your finger into your Bible a couple pages over or before that. Mark 16, 1 through 4. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. And very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Now to Matthew chapter 28, verse 2. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook, and they became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just like he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. 
And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him and they clasped his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. The followers of Jesus have been through hell. If you're new to the scriptures, the Bible tells the story of humanity's longing for God through the story of this people called Israel. Like if you've ever cracked this thing for the first time and thought, why are we talking so much about Jews? Like the whole book seems to be about the Jews. Well, God's telling a story about the longing of humanity for his presence through the story of Israel. And God uses them and he chooses them to bring his promises and his salvation to the world. And their greatest promise in the nation of Israel was that one day, through God, he would actually send a Messiah, an anointed king who would come and rule on the throne of Israel, and he would make everything right. And Mark's gospel, the declaration about who Jesus is, opens up with this message, the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. So the idea that we have is that when Jesus came onto the scene, that the people knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that they had finally found this one who the nation of Israel had longed for, had been hoping for, had been looking for, they found their Messiah. They knew it beyond the shadow of a doubt. Acts chapter 2 actually says that he was accredited by signs and wonders and miracles. And so they had no doubts that, in fact, Jesus was the one that they had pointed to for thousands of years. Everywhere he went, he healed bodies and he cast out demons and he declared that the kingdom of God was at hand. He was the long-awaited Messiah. But in a moment that they couldn't comprehend, just like that, Jesus was betrayed and murdered. And he didn't even fight back. He just lets it happen. I don't know if you've read the scripture and thought to yourself, like, put up a fight. Don't go quietly, Jesus. Swing the sword yourself, you know what I mean? Like, don't let them take you out of the garden like that. But here's the issue. These guys had sunk all of their hope into the idea of the Savior who was going to make everything right. But how can a dead man rule as king? How can a person who you've staked so much hope in, who you've looked to for so much life, who is now hanging on a cross, how can he give me any solution for how to live and how to see the world restored? That thing that I had hoped for is gone. How can everything be right when everything has gone so wrong? But as we see here in Mark 16 and Matthew 28, we're finding this group of people in their deepest moment of despair. Now, maybe this doesn't resonate with you or click with you. Maybe you're just asking questions about Jesus, or maybe you're as distant as you can be, and you're not sure, like even right now, you are sweating being in this room full of people who are praising Jesus on a Sunday morning. Wherever you're at with the Lord, every one of us knows what it's like to put all of our hopes into something and then to be despairing because that thing is lost. And that's precisely where we find the women on this resurrection morning. Their hopes of the Messiah had been dashed. Their friend, their healer, their teacher, the one they had lived life with for three years, day in and day out, road tripping and ministering and loving on people and reclining and laughing, he's dead. Now, in ancient uh, Eastern cultures where they didn't practice embalming, the way that they honored their dead was to put spices on the corpse to keep the smell at bay. And so the two Marys and Salome, they go up to this tomb on resurrection morning after the Sabbath, and they go to anoint Jesus' body to cover him with spices. Notice, 
resurrection is not even a glimpse for them. It's not a thought in their mind. In fact, when they get to the tomb, the angel says, you clearly are looking for Jesus who was crucified. You're looking for a dead man. You've come with this particular way of seeing religion and tradition and hope and perspective that what you are searching for most has been lost and is still in this grave. Their minds haven't even arrived at the idea that something more might be happening. They were just trying to cover the smell. Are you with me? They're just trying to cover the smell of the dead thing that had just passed. You know, a whole lot of us live our lives just like that. We hear about this promise of being saved. We hear of our sins being washed away, of living a transformed life. And we settle for just trying to perfume the corpse of the old thing. I settle for just trying to like add a little bit of church and a little bit of religion, a little bit of tithing. Maybe I'll go to a small group every once in a while if I'm really daring. As though that's what God intends when he's talking about this new life. Guys, God doesn't want to perfume the dead. He's not into polishing up your stinking corpse. This isn't about behavior modification so that you look the right part and one day, just one day, maybe God will be pleased enough that you can get into heaven. What a lousy religion that would be. We, we have those, by the way. We have those religions. It's called Judaism and Islam. It's, it's called everything but Christianity where I can work my way into some type of nirvana or restored state and get to this place of pleasure and fullness one day. That is not what the Christian faith holds out. That is not what the, what the man who is God, Jesus, holds out to us. What he holds out to us is that he wants to not just polish us up. He doesn't want you just acting the part. He actually wants to give you a brand new heart and raise you from the dead and give you new life. The declaration, the resurrection of Jesus means that because he is alive, it has some implication on what happens to me when I follow him. Dead people can't follow the living one. Are you with me? But there's these really interesting moments, right, where Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, it's going to mean that you've got to take up your cross and do it. Grant, you're saying a dead person can't follow, but how then am I supposed to live if Jesus is telling me I'm constantly dying? He says, if I embrace this kind of death, then I also live his life. It's his spirit. It's his work inside of you. And we're in the Bible Belt, so we are like masters at legalism and just working really hard to try to do more. Have you ever asked somebody like about their re- relationship with God or their experience or their process following Jesus and all of a sudden it clicks halfway in the conversation, oh, you don't actually know Jesus. You haven't experienced grace. You still think this is about doing more stuff. You still think this is about adding something to your repertoire and God is disgusted with that. Not because he's disgusted with you, because he has paid the price so that you don't have to lug your own burden and make sense out of, I'm making my way to God. You can't get there. He has done everything so that he can close the gap between us and him. He doesn't want to perfume us, friends. He wants to allow us to die with him so that we can live a brand new life. So the ladies are on their way to the tomb, spices in hand, and they realize something. The tomb was covered with a large stone. It actually goes the distance to say a very large stone. It's the writer's way of saying it's too big to move. What are we going to do? 
We got our little hopes of perfuming the body, but even that, we can't seem to quite get to him. And so they ask each other an important question. Who will roll away the stone? All of humanity is asking this question in one way or another. Every one of us is looking for a way to deal with the sin and the shame and the brokenness. We're looking for a way to deal with what ails us, what crushes us, what anchors us in this life. Every one of us is looking for hope. We're looking for a life that's not drowning in sin. We're looking for access to something that is higher and transcendent. We're looking for God. For some of you this morning, you came in here and you are longing for something. You are restless and you are starving and you don't even know that God is saying, it's me you're searching for. Just like those ladies heading to honor Jesus, the way to God is sealed and guarded by a stone too heavy to move with human hands too heavy to move with your intellect or your creativity or your hustle. It's too heavy to move. And there aren't enough social programs or political policies. There's not enough education. There aren't romantic relationships strong enough or a chemical high that's powerful enough. Some of you know what I'm talking about, that I will search and search in all the world to find the one thing that will move this thing out of the way. And nothing satisfies. There's no sexual encounter that's transcendent enough. This is pointing to a very real issue for us. See, and, and every single one of us understand what it is because the disciples and the ladies all shared this in common with us. They sunk their hopes into a temporary fix for an eternal problem. Isn't that what we do? The eternal problem is I can't get to God. And the temporary fix is I will do whatever I can to feel like God since I can't get to him. I make every decision, every choice, every opportunity. I will reach out and make my own decisions. And we cannot argue with this big fat stone in the way of life. This thing that cannot be pushed through. But this story is unlike any other story. Because where every other effort and individual and system fail, Jesus does not. uh, Verse 4 of Mark 16 tells us that as the women look up, that they see the stone, the one that they feared was in the path of life, the one that was in the way of this relationship with God. They see it, and they see that it has been rolled away. That thing that stood in the way of God and of new life was no longer there. And it was moved, not by human hands. It wasn't moved by some miracle human effort. It was rolled away by the angel of the Lord. Friends, it's really important for us to see this, that what God wants to do in your life, he can only do by his power, not by your effort. What God can do in your life, the very things that you feel like cannot shift, cannot move, cannot be altered, God can come over and flick them, and those things just turn over in a moment. And it's really instrumental because the very thing that stood in their way to life, it says in the next verse, and the angel was just sitting on top of it. Right? The stuff that is the greatest obstacle to you walking with God and knowing God and experiencing the life that is in God is now just a throne under his rear end. That is the power of the God that we serve. Hear that. That very thing that once kept you away from him, the thing that kept you bound in death, that kept you broken and lost, because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that thing has been tossed aside like it was nothing. And this is really great news for those of us who are walking with Jesus. And for those of you who are in here this morning and you're not, 
and you're listening to this, this is incredible news. Because you're still standing at the face of that closed way saying, how do I get to him? And God is saying, it only happens by me. You can work harder and harder. You can add more to your repertoire. You can look very religious. You can clean up on Easter, right? I don't know how people wear these things. I feel very restricted, all right? Very restricted. It's hard to jump and act like a crazy person with this thing on. The very thing that kept us bound is just a place where God rules from. He takes the very things that have been opposed to you coming to him, and he sits on them to remind you, like, look at this. Can you imagine that imagery? The stuff that stood against me really reaching him, Catherine, suddenly God saying, look, it's just right here. I'm on it. I'm over it. Like, this is the method all through the scriptures. The storms that push back the disciples' boat, right? They feel like they can't get to the other side. It doesn't matter what they're doing. And then Jesus walks out on the water like, what are we doing? It's his reminder, like the thing that you feel like is going to stop you or limit you or continue to take you the wrong direction. I'm the God who walks on that stuff. I I speak and it stops. And I'll get in the boat and ride with you through it. For some of you this morning, you're like, why ain't he stopping it? Well, Sometimes he rides on the boat with us. And sometimes he just tells it to quit. The thing, the image that he is giving to each and every one of us is that he is bigger and he wants to teach us to trust him. And I think everything, every single one of us have felt like that before. Every one of us have felt like we have something that is too big to overcome. I remember getting into college. I'd been following Jesus since I was a little boy. And getting into college after following him for years and realizing I was still a slave to sin. Does anybody have that moment? Like, I've grown up in church. I've been doing everything I can. And all of a sudden, I look up and realize I'm powerless against this stuff that's going on in my life. And it was the first time that grace awakened in my heart. I recognized I couldn't add anything to it. I couldn't do anything about it. For some of you, you're here this morning and your hearts are turned off to God and the church and Jesus because you think it means adding things to the list. Jesus actually come to take things off of it. Are you with me? Like it doesn't feel like freedom when you come to Christ because you're still trying to add to the list. And he's saying, no, 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 that's not how this thing works. You come dirty and broken and naked, and I clothe you and fill you and wash you long before you ever deserved a thing. That's the picture of grace. The picture of grace is Jesus on the cross looking down at everyone else saying, you are a son and a daughter by faith in this. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Give them the reward of what I am doing. That's that's the gift that you and I get together. Every single one of us understands what it's like to have a stone that's too heavy to roll. But God is a master at destroying and removing what enslaves you. I'm possessed by this idea that God really, really delights in your freedom. Galatians 5.1 says it's for freedom that you've been set free. He actually intends for you to be completely free. What in the world does that even mean? It is for freedom that I've set you free. Friends, God is a master at rolling away the stuff that enslaves us, the sin and the shame and the condemnation that stands against us. He is a master at taking what's impossible before and calling it possible because of him. And he only does it through his son, Jesus. The way that was sealed has been forever 
opened. Here's the question. Will you walk through it? Will you walk through it? There's this brilliant study on baby elephants. Like if you take a baby elephant, some of you are like, where did you, we, we took a left turn at baby elephants. If they take baby elephants, like in Southeast Asia, where they use elephants a lot of times for tourism and all kinds of things, they'll take a baby elephant and they will put a little stick in the ground and tether a little itty bitty string to it. And that baby elephant, because it's not strong enough, will stay restrained to this little stick forever. And as the elephant grows and grows and grows, guess what? They don't even have to reinforce that thing. They can still leave that little bitty stick with that little string around this massive two-ton creature's body, and that elephant won't move. Why? Because it has learned to be enslaved. Its entire reality is built on, I'm not strong enough to move that thing. We don't quite understand what it means to be free. For many of us, we still feel like we're bound to this little stick in the ground, and the thing is too strong for us to move. And God says, I want to teach you about this kind of resurrection power that changes everything. So he is a master at taking what seemed impossible just like that, and suddenly he makes it possible. The gospel tells us that when Jesus breathed his last on the cross, that the curtain of the temple was torn in two. It was torn in two. It symbolized the curtain, um, the, the distance between us and God. It was the symbol of separation between God and all of mankind. And how was it torn? It was torn because Jesus, who is both God and man, willingly paid the price for our sins. And just like the curtain was torn, Jesus allowed his body to be torn open so that the sealed way into God's presence is forever open. Right? That's why Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 says this. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Maybe this morning you are standing at that tomb and it seems sealed and shut tight. And maybe the question that's rolling around in your heart is, who can move this massive thing out of the way of life? And I just want to point this morning and say, it is the work of Jesus that has forever moved it out of the way. Will you walk through it? Secondly, they say, come and see. The angel said to the women in verse 5, Don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just like he said. So come and see the place where he lay. I love this about God, that he isn't afraid of a little investigation. Some of you are here today and you aren't confident about this Jesus. And he just invites us. Like it's very simple. Can you imagine walking up on that? that tomb that day and just seeing an angel hanging out on the rock. Like, I wonder how many people that day, the angel was like, come and see. <laughs> like, I just, I'm just going to Dave's house. <laughs> no, no, no. Come and see. You should come and see this. This is a big deal. I think oftentimes in like religious circles or like traditions like ours, we tend to think that people being slow in the process and asking questions and really wrestling with the reality of what we're talking about, that that is bad. Can I hear you? That's not bad. 
That's not bad. God is a very invitational sort of God. He's not over twisting people's arms behind the gymnasium saying, you will surrender to me or else. That's not who he is. He delights in seeing you hungry and asking questions. Some of you this morning are asking genuine questions. And to you, he says, come and see. Come and look. you got questions. Look at the place where he laid. We're not making it up. And can I just tell you, if you're a part of the family of God, sometimes we do a lousy job of also creating space for people to just come and see. We feel insecure, like if people ask too many questions, it's going to fall apart. As though it's not real. Why are we so insecure? It's real. Do you remember when he changed you? For some of you, do you remember? Do you remember what happened? Do you remember how he's constantly been with you? How when you wake up in the morning, you feel his presence, and when you go to sleep at night, you know that he's with you? You remember when he walked you through the darkest night of your soul? We don't have to be insecure. I really can just say, come, just, I'll tell you what I know, but come and see for yourself. And this is the invitation that God himself gives us. Investigate this, Jesus. Come and see the power of a crucified life. Come and look at the place where you thought it was nothing but death, and now you can't find anything but life. Can you imagine going and looking for a body and not finding it? Sometimes we dress this thing up a little too much. Like the angel says, don't be afraid. And immediately they leave and it says, and they were afraid. (laughs) I love that. Because that's how I would feel. I know that Jesus rose from the dead. If I walked in expecting to see him and still didn't find him, I would still be freaked out. Anybody? Why? Because death's not supposed to do that. This isn't supposed to work that way. I know the equation. This person keeps getting high week after week, month after month, year after year. They continue to sleep around. They continue to drink themselves to death. I know where this equation leads. What happens when Jesus gets involved in that equation? What, What always leads to death? What always equates to nothing? What always leads to brokenness, failed marriage, disputes, um, a financial crisis, whatever. You can add it up over and over again, and then you add this one component in. And what you thought the result was going to be has been overturned forever. It makes no sense. It doesn't make any logical sense. Of course they're afraid. He's supposed to be in there. We saw him die. We saw his body die. I saw him breathe his last and then stab him in the side. I saw it. So how's he not here? And I believe that God wants the same exact reaction out of your life. That when people look at you, they go, hold on, hold on. If my math is correct, this person was cascading down the wrong path. They were headed to relational despair. They were under the weight of substance abuse. Their life was in hell. And suddenly, you're telling me they had an encounter with this Jesus and the equation no longer works? Exactly. Exactly. This, This is the realization of what it means to belong to Jesus. And he just simply says, come and see. I'm not insecure about it. Come and take a look for yourself. Come and see the power of this crucified life. Come and see what you think only leads to death, but God has filled with life again and again and again. Guys, God doesn't roll back the stone to showcase the corpse of a really good man who died for us. He rolls back the stone to reveal Jesus who is alive forever and no longer there. Are you with me? We don't have a display case religion. 
We don't have a mausoleum religion. We're not going to view what once was a good idea, but it's just laying there in the tomb. We're going to view something that only leads us to awe and wonder and more questions. Hold on, wait, what? What? Are you kidding me? God didn't allow his son to die just so that your past sins could be cleansed and dealt with, but you could live the next 50 years figuring it out on your own? That wasn't the plan of God. We need something more. I don't just need to be cleansed for 40 years past. I need something brand new. I need a new operating system. Are you with me? Because I've been cleansed and forgiven before, and I feel the same way sometimes on the other side of it. Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? Everybody good? I know I got you the front half. You guys know what I'm talking about in the back? <laughs> Conrad, you know what I'm talking about? Like, God comes and he cleanses me, and then I just go and do the same junk. Problem. It's a problem. Because I just need to keep getting washed over and over and over. That, that's what the Jews did. They just continued to go and get washed over and over and over. Sacrifice again and again and again. Exhausting. Can't ever get it right. Can't ever move forward. For those of you who are type A and a little efficient, how frustrating is this? You're telling me we can't ever move forward? We're always going to be doing this? Kill me now. What does Jesus do? He doesn't stay there so that he cleanses who you once were and then leaves you to figure it out. He puts a brand new heart in your chest so that you can thrive forevermore, being justified by him forever and continually sanctified and growing in him. Are you with me? For some of you this morning, you still are like, man, if I just get it right, then I'll give my life. To Stop it. Don't wait till you get it all just right. It will never happen. It's not how it was supposed to be. It really is putting your faith and trust in who he is and what he said he's done. It really is that. And from that, he builds this new foundation and he starts a brand new thing. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile weak, empty, devoid of strength. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, if he's just a good man who died on a cross to cleanse our sins in the past, this thing is futile. Why? Because you need something more than just to be cleansed from your past. You need a brand new heart. Verse 19 goes on to say, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we more than anybody else are to be pitied. What a tease that would be to live 40 or 50 more years free only to go back into enslavement and death. Are you with me? It's not what the gospel is. The gospel says that he has made you new and that you will exist for him in eternity. And it's not just about getting to heaven one day. It's about getting heaven into you today. Are you with me? Eternity creeping into your veins. It's about God's kingdoms taking root in who you are today. And some of you are desperate for that. You were desperate. Can you think about it for a moment when you put your head on your pillow at night and the deep longing of your heart is that it would change. Whatever it is, whatever that thing is, that boulder in the way, that it would change. He says, I've made a way. I have made a way. You don't have to stay broken forever. You don't have to stay enslaved forever. You don't have to stay in these cycles of depression and despair. You don't have to repeat the sins of your mom and dad. I have made a way for everything that was against you to be broken forever and for you to be a brand new creation. God doesn't deal in, in remakes. 
He deals in taking things down all the way to the studs and making you a brand new creation. Right? No rehab. He's not a rehab God. He's a destruction and reconstruction God. He takes the whole thing down. See, the mystery of the cross is that when you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus, we actually join him not just in his death, but in his new life. Romans 6, 2, I'm going to read this quickly. It says, we have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, when he's saying baptized, he means that you've brought your life under the surrender and the influence of King Jesus, not just baptized in water. Don't you know that those of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For we, if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Listen to that. When Jesus died on that tree, and you and I turn and put our faith and our trust in him, it says that we died too. It's not just us saying, thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Yeah, we do that. But that's an incomplete thought. Thank you, Lord, that you died for us. And by me putting my trust in you, I also die. Faith has become anemic in our culture. We use it like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I have faith. Faith means I believe so much what he said. I believe so much who he is that I'm building my life and my value system and my perspectives and the way I do relationships and money and sexuality uh, and political perspectives and all the things on the kingdom of God that is not of this world. You understand? I died with him. He says, you died. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with forever. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, right? Like that's strong enough. We are a group of people who have put our faith in the death of Jesus. We've actually died with him to ourself. But here he says, if we've died with him, we believe we'll also live with him. If, if I'm putting my faith and trust in this Jesus who's on the tree, if I have entered into his death, I will also enter into his life. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he can't die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives in God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do you have questions about who he is? Come and see. Do you wonder, is he real? Come and see. Just come look. Come investigate in the scriptures. Come and do what he says and see if he doesn't continue to show you who he is. Ask a very simple and dangerous question. God, if you were real, will you show me? Jesus, if you are the only way to the Father, will you show me? Watch what happens. Number three, he says, go and tell. The command the angel gives the women is simple. He says, go and tell the disciples everything that you have seen because he is risen. You know, once we see the stone rolled away and once we see the place where Jesus once lay and experienced the power of resurrection, there's only one thing left to do. 
Scream and tell everybody. Okay, for real. We do this every year. Like, Easter Sunday, I was joking. My family, Miko and Simone, are here in the front. Um, their daughter's my goddaughter. I just, we, we love them. Really close to Roman and Sarah as well. Family. Um, and we were talking about how strange it is year after year to approach Easter Sunday as though it's a brand new idea. Like everybody put on your best. Like we don't live this all the time. Everybody dress up special. And I wore a coat, so maybe I'm offending the whole thing right now, okay? Because <laughs> I don't dress like this, okay? Um, the, the idea, though, the idea that if I saw, Olivia, if I saw, if I went to the graveyard today and I knew this is where my grandfather was, and then there was just a hole and an angel sitting on the headstone going, sorry, <laughs> not home. <laughs> For real, how, how would you live? Legitimately, how would you actually react? It wouldn't be pretty or like formulaic and it wouldn't sound polished. It wouldn't be preachy. It would be screaming and running and like, he is, he's alive, he's alive. But like, he's, a, he's a, also alive. Like, oh my God, he's alive. The dead, the dead one is alive. Are you with me? We've all watched zombie movies. Like, it's, ter- it's terrifying what happens next. Sorry. I'm so awkward. Um, once you see the stone rolled away, once we see the place where he was, the only thing left to do is to tell everyone. Everyone. Everywhere. Nowhere and no one is safe from my story about the man who got up. Why? It's changed everything for me. He's changed everything for me. Right? Like some of you know this. When you hear so-and-so talking about that one thing that that person did, you want the tea, you want to sit down and hear all the gossip. Yes. Can you imagine this kind of gossip moving through Israel? I heard that guy Jesus got up. We got to move. (laughs) The scripture actually says that when Jesus died, when he breathed his last, graves broke open all over Israel and old leaders got up and walked around the city. If the death of Jesus releases the bodies of the dead, how much more the life of Jesus? Are you with me? He got up and that, that does something. That does something. I can't stay the same when they start getting up out of the ground, Kyle. I can't. Like, when he got up, it changes things. I think we've grown too comfortable with this message. We've made it too hermetic. We've made it an Easter Sunday morning message, and it is a 365-day-a-year, 24-7 message. Life as we know it has altered because of the resurrection of this man, Jesus. N.T. Wright says this. He says the message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and that you're invited to belong to it. That God's new world has been unveiled. You're like, man, I just want to like go to school and find that perfect boy and I want to have the perfect wedding and then I want to do that. Get the perfect job. I just want to click. The world has changed forever. And he's inviting you to participate in this new creation. This is the kind of news we can't keep to ourselves. It's the kind of news that's so powerful and dangerous that all of Jesus' disciples, all of them, were willing to die to tell it. 
You know how much you believe something? You can tell on how much you're willing to pay to be a part of it. The people who go, this is clearly not true. All of these people were willing to die to talk about it. What are you willing to die to talk about? Seriously, think about it. We are not in, I'm not in danger. I don't think I've lived a single day in my life in danger. Some of you have lived in danger. Your environment's dangerous. What is the truth that you're willing to tell, and even if it costs you your life, you're willing to tell it? If there's anything that verifies the reality of Jesus more than that, I don't know what it is. Thousands of years have passed, and people are still talking about it. So if it's true, if what we're talking about today on Easter Sunday, if it actually has merit and weight, then we can't just come to church once a week and go about business as usual, right? The reason we say this isn't the point is that it's not the point. The point is that the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords has put his spirit in you by faith, and he makes a demand on your life because of it. He says, I want you to produce fruit. I want you to go out and do something with this thing. Go and tell people. We can't just pretend it's business as usual. Um, Tyler Staten writes this. If Jesus showed us a new way to live and he gave us a better way to die, we're left to pick over his life like a swarm of vultures gnawing at his bones for something of him that we can add to ourselves. A Jesus of life and death is a fantastic addition. To this Jesus, we come with our already full lives, having already decided who we will be and where we will go, what we dream of and what is needed to accomplish those dreams. We add this Jesus like milk in a cup of coffee, just a splash. There's not much room left, but I'd love to get that nice caramel color. But an actual resurrection? That requires an empty cup. Contents poured out until it's bare ceramic so it can be filled to overflowing with living water. You see, the resurrection is actually Jesus' most offensive act. A bodily resurrection means Jesus isn't a likable revolutionary. That's how we like to think. He can't be. Kurt Cobain, Will Hunting, Gandhi, Mandela, Martin Luther King Jr., none of those men walked out of their graves. An actual resurrected Jesus does not make him a great man. It makes him Lord. If it's true... If he is Lord, I have no option but to go everywhere and to tell everyone. And friend, neither do you. I don't call you this morning to routines and religions and like just come more and work harder. No, absolutely not. I'm calling you to come and to lay down your life at the foot of the cross and to take up the new life of Jesus who is resurrected and alive forever. I'm calling you to investigate his life because the stone has been rolled away. I'm calling you to give your very life for him and to experience the power of this new life in Jesus. This room is full of stories of new life. This room is full of stories of people who were dead but now stand and live alive. That's why Jesus' final words before he goes into heaven and sits at the right hand of God are these. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me, so I tell you, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. You've received this thing, guys? Now I'm telling you, go and take it. Go and take it. And this morning as we close, I want you to respond to what the Lord is speaking to you. 
For some of you, you come to that place and it feels like the stone is very much in the way of life in the presence of God. And he is saying, by the blood of Jesus, by his faithful obedience, I have forever rolled it away. Will you walk in? For some of you, you feel that, man, I've got this thing in the way for me to really engage with life. And God says, walk in. For some of you, you're here and you're asking questions and you are genuine. I love that the angel says, clearly you are looking for Jesus. Some of you came this morning because you were looking for Jesus. And his invitation is open. Come and see me. Come and see. I'm not far off. I'm not distant or detached. I want to teach you who I am. I want to show you what it's like to live this thing out. And for others of you this morning, he is simply saying, you know this is true. And I want to set your life on fire and send you. I want to kindle the torch in you so that you can walk into the darkness of the world around us. And they can't help but to see the light of the glory of God that is Jesus. Why? Because you say, I was dead and now I'm alive. He was dead and he's alive. Now I'm alive. Because nothing preaches better than your life lived in resurrection power. Amen. Will you stand to your feet? I want to ask our prayer team to come, those of you who have been a part of that last week, if you would come. Go ahead, you know who you are. We're going to pray over folks, and then we're going to take communion and closing together, so please don't leave. I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. If right now you just say, you know what, Pastor Grant, I I don't actually have a relationship with Jesus. I fit into that category of like feeling cold toward the church, cold toward Jesus, and I just want to surrender my life to Christ. I want to come and see. I'm just saying, Lord, I'm hungry. And if that's you this morning, we want to take the next five to seven minutes, and we just want to give you an opportunity to respond. Um, And so right now, would you do that? Just, I want somebody to pray with me. There's no shame. Every single one of us have come to Christ that way. Every single one of us. And so right now, we just want to give you a chance to respond. Would you come? Would you come? Is the Lord dealing with your heart right now? We're not talking about Bible Belt Christianity. I'm not talking about cultural Christianity. I'm talking about surrendering and submitting your life to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if that's you today, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. I don't want to move quick. I want to give you an opportunity. Okay. So, Father, even now, Lord, we as a church family, we respond to this, Lord, that you have rolled away the stone. That thing that marked us with sin and shame in the past, you have removed it forever. Father, I thank you that right now you're inviting us to come and to see For some of you this morning, you're there. You're saying, you know what? I'm interested. I really want to know that this is real and true. And if that's you, would you just lift your hand so that we can just pray for you? Everybody's eyes closed. We want to give you privacy. But I want to give you an opportunity just to say, I want want to just take that step. I want to come and see Jesus. I want to see him for who he is. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Okay. Everybody knows him. Everybody's walking with him. All right. And last but not least, 
For many of you, you're hearing this message and going, you know what? I've kind of been treating this thing as just a religious thing we do. And God is calling me to tell others. And you just need the power of the Spirit. You know, in Acts chapter 2, after Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, it says that He pours out His Holy Spirit so that you can be filled with the same Spirit that was in Him to be obedient and full of power, that He fills you with that Spirit so that you have strength to overcome and to speak the truth in love. If that's you this morning, would you just open your hands to receive? And we just want to pray, just as a church family, that we would receive the Spirit. Come on. Can I encourage you, if if you've been walking with them for 100 years, go ahead and open your hands. Let's receive again. Come on. Father, we thank you. Are you hungry? Open your arms to him. We're hungry. We're hungry, Lord. We look to you, Father. We thank you, God, that you alone hold the words of life. Jesus, that it's your Holy Spirit at work in us that brings us freedom and life. Father, we thank you that this resurrection has redefined us. God, it marks us. It changes our world. Lord, we ask you today that the Holy Spirit would come and fill us. God, that not in... um not in some like ritual, weird way that we go out and we have to tell people and we're like checking boxes on a, a list. Father, would you burn in our hearts and fill us with a desire to talk about Jesus? I thank you that the Spirit of God longs for Jesus. Would you fill us with that Holy Spirit again today, Father? That everywhere we go, that we would be filled, God, with this confession of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. These are your people called by your name. Father, I pray for the revelation of your death and resurrection in our hearts today. For those whose eyes are blind in this house, Lord, I thank you that you peel back the blinders and you reveal Jesus. We stand in agreement, Father. We stand not as people who have all things together. God, we stand as people who are humbled. God, who you have saved and cleansed and who are still crawling forward in you, God. You're lifting us. I thank you that you have filled us with your spirit, though, and you're maturing us in who you are, Lord. We ask you today that you pour out your spirit, God, on every person here. Lord, let the resurrection take root in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, prayer team. You guys can be seated. Uh, We're going to take a moment and just take communion. And the guys are going to be passing these elements around. Would you do me a favor? If you're following the Lord, if you belong to him and you want to take communion, we would love to serve you. We don't want to... We're not trying to force you to take anything. Uh, This is an invitation to the table. And there is room at the table for you. And so right now, they're just going to play a little worship in the background. And I want to give you an opportunity to receive. Um, As you get the bread and the cup, just hold on to it and we'll take it together. Okay? And so if you guys will play for just a moment. We're going to create just an atmosphere where you can evaluate your own heart. The Apostle Paul says that when you take communion, it's important that we stop and we actually evaluate what's in our hearts. He says, don't take it lightly. Make sure that you're judging yourself. So the idea is that I look into my own heart and life and I ask, Lord, if there's anything that doesn't belong, would you make it plain to me? So right now, would you just do that? Just take an assessment of your own heart. If there's an attitude or an activity, the Lord says one of the works of the Spirit is that He convicts our hearts according to sin 
and guilt. He doesn't condemn us to push us away. The Holy Spirit convicts us so that he pulls us toward him and he cleanses us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I said, just do business with the Lord right now. Is there anything off in my heart? Is there anything, Holy Spirit, that you want to speak to me about? David, just bring me a juice. Thank you, guys. everybody been served? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. It says on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, symbol of food, Seems normal every day. And Jesus says, look, whenever you take this thing here, I want you to break it. And I want you to remember that my body was broken for you. Whenever you eat this meal, whenever you drink this cup, you do this in remembrance of me. 
And so today we break the bread. Why don't you take the piece of bread in your hand and break it? And remember that just like it was broken, the body of Jesus was broken, that he is a new and living way for us to enter into the presence of God. Ephesians says that because of Christ and because of faith in him, you have access to come boldly before the throne of God. And it is by this body that was broken for you, not any other way. And so, Lord, we just commit this bread to you. Lord, it's common, it's normal, but you said that in you, we look back and we remember that your body was split open for us. You were willing to lay down your life that we might be free. We thank you. We eat to our freedom and to the new creation that you've begun through your broken body, and we say thank you in Jesus' name. Would you take the bread with me? said in the same way he took the cup and after giving thanks for it he said I've eagerly desired to have this Passover with you this is the new covenant in my blood for thousands of years the Jews had been celebrating when God delivered them from slavery in Egypt by painting the doors of their households with the blood of a sacrifice and he said tonight remember that I am the sacrifice who forever cleanses you and causes death to leave and life to stay and so today we remember that the penalty of our freedom in life was done in Jesus. And we take this remembering that he has washed you clean. He's cleansed you. He's made you a new creation by his blood. And his blood carries a more powerful word than anything you've ever done. So we plead the blood of Jesus. Lord, we come under your blood tonight or today, Father, and we just remember that you paid the ultimate sacrifice, that we might be saved. I thank you that this is resurrection and life. I thank you, Jesus, that you paid the consequence so that we can be whole. We drink now to you and to your kingdom. And we recognize, Lord, that you will come again, and we long to see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Will you stand your feet? Thank you, Lord. Let's just take a moment and give him praise as we close today, can you? Just lift your hands. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus. You're worthy, Lord. You're worthy of our lives. You're worthy, Father, of every choice and decision. Lord, for those who are asking big questions about what it means to belong to you, I pray that you would show them that you are the God who invites them in, that you long for them to come and to see who you truly are. God, we turn our faces to resurrection power today, and we thank you that you aren't dead in a grave, but you are alive forevermore. So be with us. Let me just speak a word of benediction over you if you'll receive it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance to you and give you peace. I pray that everywhere your footsteps, that you walk in the fullness, in the infusion of God who is spirit, that he fills you and surrounds you and protects you, that you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that when you turn to him, that you don't see his back 
and you don't see his sneer, you see his face and he's smiling. That you know that his arms are always open to you and he longs for relationship with you. That everywhere you go, that no place is safe from the power and the spirit of God because of this resurrection life that's in Jesus. May you know who you are in him that you have every spiritual blessing in Christ, that you have all you need for life and godliness, that you are not a forgotten one or a secondhand citizen, but he calls you daughter and son by the blood of the King. Father, I thank you today that your blessing rests on your people. Now may we go with this realization that you are alive. And because of that, we live in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Bless you guys. Thank you so much. If, you, if you're a guest with us, we'd love to meet you. If not, go and have an incredible Resurrection Sunday. We love you. See you later.